Hey podcasters, welcome to Shaping Identity, a podcast for lived experiences with mental illness, addictions, and the road to recovery. All right, are you ready for some vulnerability? Here it is. Today, I'm hoping to keep things a little bit lighter than the last two episodes. I mean, I do still want to be really honest and vulnerable about what took place to make me pursue recovery. However, I, yeah, I want to try and shed some light on the positives of taking that step. So just to kind of bridge the gap between last episode and this one, I do want to talk a little bit about starting to take medications while still drinking and smoking pot. And so I kind of just thought that, you know, let's take a pill and I can get better. I don't need to change my habits. I don't need to make any other changes. I just need to pop a pill every day and I'll be fine. So I started the route of talking to my doctor. He then put me in contact and made a referral to a psychiatrist who was able to prescribe me the appropriate medications. After doing this, I was given um, a confirmed diagnosis of borderline personality disorder, depression, anxiety, and ADHD. And so they prescribed me a number of medications and I was on my way. I filled the prescriptions and I was taking them every day, but I was also still really heavily drinking. What's funny is I failed to realize the effects that the drinking would have on the medications, which is really ironic because I used to get very upset that my mother would abuse prescription medications while drinking and that she never really took the appropriate approach to taking the medications in the right manner to make herself better. And I watched this as I grew up and I always commented on it to friends and it really stuck with me. And it's just funny how the tables were turned or however you want to express it, it, it's just funny that I never considered that for myself. And so anyway, I was drinking and using the prescription pills, which, you know, I kind of, they told me maybe after three, four weeks, I might start seeing a difference. And I remember how frustrated I was that it wasn't making, making a difference. And I was actually getting really sick and part of that was the medication, but it was also because I was mixing both alcohol and prescriptions. And so, yeah, I would often just get really sick in the middle of the day or become really tired. Studies have also suggested that drinking while taking antidepressants and other such medications could intensify the effects of alcohol. It could affect my coordination, my ability to respond to things in an appropriate time. So for example, when you're driving, uh, things could be lagged. So, you know, I was making things even more dangerous than it had been. And I thought it was a step in the right direction. I thought, well, I'm taking meds, so I'm doing my part, but I really wasn't because you need to follow the instructions given to you by doctors and pharmacists and the bottle itself that strictly say, don't drink with it. So I did that for probably a year, maybe half a year. Um, and it's just funny to me now, but I was just so confused. Why, why aren't I getting better? Why, 
why am I still so depressed? Why am I still so out of control? Why can't I get things to a point where I feel in control and happy? And so it took a while and I finally, yeah, I think it was just talking to my psychologist further about the effects of alcohol and medications. And we just had talked in length about how quitting would be a solution to seeing if the medications are actually going to be effective for me. So, you know, I was stuck in pre-contemplation for a really long time. And finally, it got to a point where I <laughs> I had woken up from a night of heavy drinking and I could not remember anything from the night before. I had this place where I hid alcohol from my then boyfriend and I looked where I usually hide my alcohol and it was all gone. And it was a lot of alcohol. I went to the store almost every day to pick up more beer or whatever I was kind of craving at the time. And so I, yeah, looked in that spot and it was all gone and I was just shocked. And I remember that my boyfriend would get home from work around like 4.30 or so. And I was already passing out like an hour within him getting home. And so that's, that's not good, not good at all. And so I was just really ashamed. I had realized what a big problem it was. And the fact that I was hiding it, that I had a spot to hide alcohol was just not place I wanted to be. I didn't want to be that person. And I didn't want to hide things from my boyfriend anymore. Like things were serious. And I just, I didn't want to do that to him or, or myself. Honestly, I don't, I, yeah, it was just this epiphany of who I didn't want to be anymore. And so I had reached out to my best friend and I told her what I was going through. She knew I was a heavy drinker. We've known each other since high school. And so she's seen it. Um, and she was just so, so compassionate and so full of grace when I came to her and just explained how bad the situation got that I was drinking and driving and not remembering most of my days and spending time drinking alone and hiding it. And I just came completely clean to her and I told her, I'm so afraid to tell my boyfriend, uh, like, how do I explain to him when we've been together for about three years that my drinking has just gotten increasingly worse over time. And so I had talked to her about it and she said, you know, you, you do what you feel is right. You can talk to him in person. You can send him a text. You can call him. You can write him a letter. And I remember thinking, you know, I think a letter is the only way I'm going to be able to do it because otherwise I'm going to start crying. I'm going to be embarrassed. I'm going to not say anything. I'm going to go back on this plan that I was making with her to make a change and get better. And so I wrote him a letter and I explained what was going on, that I had been hiding my drinking and that I had a problem and that I needed help. And I explained in the letter too that my friend was willing to go to my first AA meeting with me. And so, yeah, that, I just, I remember when he came home and I was, I was in our room and he looked at me like, what's wrong? And I 
I just handed him the note. I just stuck my hand out and I was like, read this. I don't know what else to say. And so he read it and he just hugged me and he said, it's okay. Like, I'll be there. I'll support you. I love you. And he was so, so amazing to me. I don't deserve him. And I'm I'm just so thankful that he took it that way. He didn't express anger at me or disappointment that I had been hiding it. He was just so happy that I was able to admit it and that I was going to take steps to do something about it. And so I did the first AA meeting with my friend online and it was scary. I felt sick to my stomach and also probably hungover, but sick to my stomach and I just remember it was uh, it was such a surreal experience to be in a virtual room with other people that were talking about similar experiences and feelings that I have had. And so I, yeah, like that was the beginning for me is that I did AA and I did another recovery group in my community and it was really hard, but it made a huge difference to have a community of people that I could express what I was going through and what I was thinking at the time. And they got it and they were supportive and they were non-judgmental. And the one, the group that I went to in my community, it was nice because it was full of women and we would sit around a table and talk about our experiences or what was challenging that week. And it was, it made such a big difference for me that I could go there every week and talk to like-minded people and get the support I needed because oof, I, I remember. <laughs> so the first 24 hours, I, I was a wreck. It was hard on me physically, but it also mentally, I mean, where I live, there's a beer or liquor store on every other corner. You can't drive down a street without going past two or three. And it was so hard. And I would even see signs that were like, your favorite beer is on sale or come in and check out this deal. And it was just so hard and tempting. Ugh. And I, yeah, it was a really hard time. But I, I know that the groups helped and there's different components of each of the group that I didn't either entirely agree with or just didn't. I, I just took the bits and pieces that worked for me, essentially. And that was what was getting me through. And I really leaned on my psychologist at this time, too. And I told her what was going on. I celebrated milestones with her. And I remember talking to her and telling her like, you know, some of these programs say take it day by day, but I'm having such a hard time making it through each day. It's just sometimes unbearable and I just feel like such a failure when it's all I can think about all day. And she had recommended to me, well, you know, if if day by day is too hard, you can you can make it more manageable. You know, you think about uh, smart goals and so make it more realistic and manageable for you. So she said, would hour by hour work or minute by minute? Or you could even do second by second. And that's that resonated with me. I was like, I need to do second by second. I literally need to celebrate every second that goes by because that is that that's a success for me. And so that's how I started off. 
just making it through second by second and making small victories um, by sharing with friends and family of, you know, I made it through my first 24 hours or I made it through my first week. And it was just nice to have people that were in my corner and didn't judge me and didn't like scoff at the insignificance of 24 hours without drinking. And I I say insignificance because, you know, people without addictions don't necessarily know or can relate to how good it feels to go an extended period of time without it. I think that those things made a difference. I would say too that I have an app that I kept track of when I started my sobriety with alcohol. It's called Sober Today. And I would highly recommend it. It kept track of the days, hours, minutes, seconds that I was sober. And it also, it was kind of cool because it asked me how many units I guessed or estimated I was drinking in a day and how much I would bend in a day or two. It uh, calculated, oh, you saved this much money in this much time or you didn't drink this many units. And so it was kind of cool to see how much money I was saving and how many units of alcohol I wasn't drinking in period of time. And it was really eye-opening for me to see how big those numbers were in just a week. I think like the first week, I saved myself hundreds of dollars, if not more. And I know it's just an estimate of how much I spent per day and units I drank per day, but it's still, it was pretty alarming to see how big the number was. So it was, uh, yeah, that was kind of my start to recovery. And it was nice to see because I, it was so hard to make it a couple of weeks without the alcohol, but then Once I did, I started seeing a difference in my mood, the medications I was taking. I did notice that I was still getting sick quite often with the one antidepressant I was making or taking. So it was kind of cool to actually notice the differences and like listen to my body and acknowledge like, oh, okay, this is like my body doesn't like this medication and it's not just me being hungover or me having alcohol in my system that is counteracting with the medications. So it's it's nice when you can take those steps and I finally have the ability to listen to my body and not relate everything to alcohol uh, being the issue because that's typically what it was. If I was ever tired or sick, I was like, oh, I'm just hungover. or I'm just um, weaning off the alcohol. And so, yeah, I think that was pretty cool. Further to that, uh, this month was actually my two-year anniversary with sobriety. And that was huge for me. I remember those first 24 hours and I was like, I'm going to be lucky if I make it another 24. And so I didn't think I'd be capable of reaching this milestone. And I'm filled with a lot of internal pride about it. I come from a line of alcoholics and they've done different stints of sobriety. And I'm just hoping, and I'm, I'm optimistic that I will let this stick, that I will keep up with it. I want to affirm that I believe I can stay sober and live a sober life. And 
honestly, it is hard. Um, I won't lie. Social events, going to like a hockey game, going to a friend's party, people are going to drink. And I've had to have different coping mechanisms with that. So, you know, I like my non-alcoholic beer at times, or I've really relied on having coffees or just different drinks, uh, different ways to feel included by still making it special. I know when I was young, some girls in my class got really heavily made fun of for having mocktails. So I do still get embarrassed by saying this, but I enjoy my mocktails. I enjoy having a Caesar without the alcohol. And even more so, I enjoy not waking up with a hangover anymore. I enjoy remembering what I did the night before, and I enjoy not having to worry about, ooh, did I say something to so-and-so, or was that just a dream? Did I do this or do that? And I already have social anxiety, so I really don't need to add worry of not remembering what I did or worries of my inhibitions being down and not being a perfect party guest, essentially. And so, yeah, two years, I'm happy and I'm hoping I can keep moving forward with it. I even have some sober friends in my life now. And so it's really nice to lean on each other and talk to each other about the struggles and talk to each other about how much alcohol is ingrained in society and what we do. And I'm not knocking alcohol for people who have the ability to say no and for people who are able to set the, set limits for themselves. I think if you can, that's great and you do you. I'm just saying that I never realized alcohol is everywhere and it is just totally a part of our world. It It's a little bit mind-blowing for me how prevalent it is in media, social media, TV, you name it. It's it's just everywhere. And so it's just something you kind of notice when you're sober. But then again, I'm not knocking people who do it. It's just, it's funny that it's ingrained or it was ingrained in me that you needed to have this in your life to be social or you needed to have this in your life to have fun or to do this or to that. And I used to get really annoyed because I had this friend growing up that was always the life of the party and amazing and she never needed a lick of alcohol and she'd always say I don't need alcohol to have fun and I was like yeah but it still makes it fun (laughs) and and I just didn't understand the mentality of having fun without alcohol it didn't compute and now I I really do see the value in having fun without it I guess the last thing I want to say because I know I've been rambling on about this is that For genuine recovery, it definitely will make a difference if you can follow directions from your doctors and pharmacists and the medication bottles. And if it says not to drink, give it a try because maybe that is the difference between you and living happier, healthier. I know it made a difference for me and not saying it's for everyone, but it worked for me. 
right. I think that is just about enough rambling for this episode. So thank you so much for joining me and for being a part of this journey with me. Instead of sharing a self-care piece for this episode, I thought I would share... I, I got these two really great pins at a market this weekend, and... I just really love them, so I thought I'd share what they say. The one says, it's okay if your serotonin is store-bought. And I thought that was really cool because mine is. And then the other one I have, it's really simple, but it says, I can do hard things. And I really like that message. And I really like just sitting with it because we all can do hard things. um, And it just, it's nice to acknowledge that and acknowledge the difficulty and strength that it takes to sometimes just show up in you. So that's what I will leave you with today. And thanks for thanks again for being here. This is me signing off with a vulnerability hangover. I hope you will join me in two weeks when I post episode number four. Shaping Identity is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you like Shaping Identity, please make sure to like, follow, and share with your friends. You can find me on Instagram at shaping underscore identity or on my website at www.shapingidentity.ca. I want to recognize Titan Media Collective for all of their help in getting set up, started, and their support throughout this journey. With that shout out in mind, Here is another production by Titan Media Collective. Take a listen. Hey guys, this is B from Arbitrary Advice. Your one-stop shop for advice, arbitrary and otherwise. We talk about anything and everything, from serious issues to internet challenges and life hacks. Have a question or topic you want covered? I'm available through Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or email me at arbitraryadvicepodcast at gmail.com. My mission is to help people through their challenges, no matter the size. New episodes every Sunday and available anywhere you listen to podcasts.